Good morning. Uh, this is the uh, March 16, 2023 uh, meeting of the planning board. And uh, uh, the uh, chair, Commissioner uh, Sions and Commissioner Pedoim are absent, but we're fortunate to have Commissioner Bartley and Commissioner Hedrick in attendance. So we're going to start first by following the tradition set by uh, by the chair, which is to give a little bit of the history, uh, some details about history here in the county. And I'll just uh, uh, tell you what, what it's about. More than 200 years ago, Jaru Mamot, I may have killed his last name, purchased the freedom of his son, Aquila, from enslavement by the Chambers family of Montgomery County. Jaru Mamot gained his own freedom shortly thereafter, after 44 years in slavery, and became a successful entrepreneur, property owner, and prominent early American Muslim. He was memorialized in a well-known portrait by Charles Wilson Peel. Amazing. Anyway, uh, let's go on with the agenda. Of the first item in the agenda is uh, uh, preliminary matters and it has to do with the adoption of resolutions and we can either if the if the other commissioners have questions these are resolutions these are items that were presented to the planning board on march 9th and and were approved so uh there's couple of resolutions we can take them individually if commissioners have questions other other than that, I will entertain a motion to approve both uh, the Corso Chevy Chase H148 Forest Conservation Plan, MCPB number 23-020, and the second one is 14511 Jones Lane 11996072-MCPB number 23-023. So I hear a motion. Um, I move that we adopt both the resolutions, the Corso Chevy Chase H148 Forest Conservation Plan and the uh, resolution 414511 Jones Lane. Uh, I don't have any questions myself. Sean? I okay. second the motion. Great. So let's take a vote. All those in favor say aye or raise your hand. Aye. aye. Okay. It's uh, the, the th It's three versus zero. So we uh, we approve those uh, resolutions. Now we move on to the approval of the minutes. Um, and uh, I also ask for uh, for a motion to approve the minutes. Do I hear a motion? I'll move that we approve the minutes. OK, I do I hear a second? Sorry, uh, there second. are no minutes, just to let you know. All right. Oh, there are no minutes. OK, I was wondering. Why OK, all right. Well, good. We'll move on to the uh, do we have a state legislative update? Oh, we don't. No, not today. OK, good. All right. So we're moving on to the uh, record plats uh, and um, we have uh, the. Uh, we have the uh, Subdivision plan number 2202210050, Oakmont R200 zone, six lots, one parcel located on the north side of Central Avenue. 
150 feet east of Oakmont Street, Great Seneca Science Corridor Master Plan. Do uh, and um, again, uh, do I hear a motion for approval, or is there any discussion of this record plat? I move that we approve. Okay, thank you, Commissioner Bartley. Do I hear a second? Seconded. Okay, uh, second by Commissioner Hedrick. So we'll take a vote. All those in favor say aye or raise your hand. Aye. 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 Again, it's, um, it's approved. So we move to the item number three. Now, do we need to, in any of these items, do we need to take a recess or can we just move on? You're good. Keep rolling. Okay, let's keep on rolling. Okay, uh, we have extension, regulatory extension requests. The first is by the diner or dinner school, preliminary plan number 12023040. And this is the first uh, extension request. And they are requesting to extend the review period from uh, March to July, uh, the end, end of July. Uh, and it's uh, it's a four month um, extension, and uh, the idea is to um, to convert an existing office to a school use, and it's in nine three one two Old Georgetown Road. Any discussion, or do I hear a motion for approving this extension request? I so move. Okay, Commissioner Bartley and Commissioner Hedrick seconded. So all those in favor, again, say aye or raise your hand. Aye. 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 Okay, it's approved. Uh, then we move on to uh, the next extension. We have, uh, actually, we have three extension requests. This one is 7126 Wisconsin Avenue sketch plan amendment, preliminary plan, site plan, extension request number two. And this is the second request to extend the review period from uh, from March to May, so it's a it's actually a two month uh, extension request, and has to do with resolving some of the site designs items and making the final submission. There's a sketch plan, a preliminary plan, and a site plan um, uh, request to extend. So. Uh, Given those issues, uh, do I hear a motion or anybody has any of the commissioners have any questions or? I do have a question. Which which okay. property address on this one and what's the name of it? This is uh, 70. You're asking, okay, this is 7126 uh, Wisconsin okay. Avenue. Just making sure. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's a 7126 Wisconsin already. The sketch plan, preliminary plan, and site plan. Any other question or it's comment? Just an, just an extension for two months. For two months. All right. Okay. Go ahead, Sean. Sorry. Yeah, I move that this extension be approved. Second. Okay. All right. Okay, so let's take a vote. All those in favor say aye or raise your hand. Aye. aye. Okay, unanimous. So we move on to the next um, the next item, uh, the next extension, which is 
Aurora State's preliminary plan number 12023050 regulatory review extension request. And uh, this is uh, a request uh, to extend by four months until August 13. And again, it's request number one. Um, and it's an application to create a four lot subdivision for four single family detached units. So if if any of the commissioners have questions or we can, I, um, I will entertain a motion. Go ahead, Commissioner. I do have a question. I have a question. Go ahead. Um, this is from um, one of our staff members, why it's four months instead of two similar to the other parties. Thank you. I think in the case of the, um, uh, well, like Aurora states, I mean, we can ask the, um, we can ask the staff if the staff is available, if they want to answer that question, why four months instead of two months? Is there anybody from the staff that can address that, that issue? Hi, good morning. I'm Sandra Pereira, regulatory supervisor with App County team. And um, yes, uh, we're asking for four months to give us a little bit of um, extra buffer time to to deal with septic testing and some of the comments that um, the applicant received on this application. Um, some of it involved with moving the houses forward towards the towards the road, which meant that some of the initially proposed septic fields would have to be adjusted and moved to other locations. And that that just takes time and coordination with the other agencies. Okay. Is this an extension that was uh, requested by the applicant? Yes. Or is this something that the staff thought it was necessary? Both. Um, it was. It was both. The applicant has requested and staff supports the extension. And um, okay. of course, if everything is resolved ahead of time, we we would bring this item to the board before before the time expires. Okay. All right. Any more questions from the commissioners? None for me. I move to approve the extension. Second. Okay. All right. So we Thank have you, a first and a second, and uh, let's take a vote. All those in favor say aye or raise your hand. Aye. Aye. Okay, it's unanimous. All right, uh, now we move on to the, uh, we have a parks director report from uh, Mr. Riley, I guess. Are you uh, there, Mr. Riley? Hi, Mike Riley, how are you? Y yes, I am. Uh, good okay. Morning. Good, good morning. morning, Commissioners. Um, I am Mike Riley, the Director of the Parks Department, um, here to uh, give you my Parks Director's uh, report. Uh, Acting Planning Director Tanya Stern and I uh, alternate weeks, giving our respective reports about uh, items of interest and note going on in our, our respective world. So this week is uh, is my turn. And I want to start out uh, with an official uh, welcome uh, to uh, Commissioners uh, Bartley and Hedrick to the Park and Planning Commission uh, family on behalf of myself and the Parks Department. Since this is my uh, first formal item in front of you, it's great to have you uh, you both on board. Uh, I did watch the interviews and got to meet you a little bit last week, so I look forward to getting to know you and uh, a little bit better as time goes on, but welcome. Uh, I'm going to endeavor to uh, get a few slides up and I give it a try and see if I can do that. 
And uh, as my slides coming up, um, I just wanted to kind of start with a, uh, a, a just a general statement about our park system here in Montgomery County. Um, it is a big uh, park system. Uh, I did a little benchmarking this morning just to kind of give some ideas of comparisons. Uh, the infamous New York City Parks and Recreation Department manages about 30,000 acres of parkland in the five boroughs of New York City. Uh, Dallas, uh, I went to the National Park and Recreation Conference a few years ago and heard the director of Dallas, uh, Texas Park and Recreation speak. And uh, what struck me is that their system is a great benchmark to ours in terms of size and comparison. It's about 21,000 acres and they manage 410 parks. Uh, we're 37,000 acres and manage 420 parks. So those are both big cities, but on a, a county note, uh, our, our closest sister, of course, is Fairfax County, Virginia. Uh, they manage 23,000 uh, acres of parks. And in the, uh, the great competition between Fairfax and Montgomery County, I'm pleased to say we have them dwarfed at 37,000 acres of parkland. So the, the reason I just kind of start with this is as I come to you with my director's reports, I try to cover a wide array of topics because it is such a big system with a lot of different uh, programs and facilities and interests. You know, just, just some examples of things I could talk to you about uh, at, at nauseum is the, our extensive trail system at over 200 miles, uh, our, our nearly 300 uh, athletic fields that we provide, uh, our 40 public-private partnerships that we manage, where we have uh, third-party entities leasing our land and running programs in partnership with us. Specialty niche areas, like we're the lead in the county's whitetail deer management program, which is of great interest to a lot of people, uh, in control of non-native invasive plants in the park system, which is a big uphill battle. Uh, we have a park police division of over, uh, excuse me, nearly 100 uh, sworn police officers. So that's not something people typically think about when you use the term park and recreation. They don't necessarily think about law enforcement, but uh, that's just, I could go on and on, but the, I think you get the point I'm just trying to make is that we are a large diverse system that covers a lot of different topics and what I do in my park director's report each week. Of course, if there is something urgent or of note that the board needs to know, I will cover that. But also I try to kind of move around and cover a wide variety of different topics to kind of let you know what's going on. So my opening slide here is uh, the summer concert series at Brookside Garden. It is one of many, many types of events we've been trying to expand over the last five plus years. We uh, we were not hyper-focused on programming a decade ago. Uh, we were more focused on delivering great parks and facilities that people enjoyed and uh, that brought people in naturally. But now we're having a lot more programmed events uh, like this one. And what we're finding, particularly since the pandemic, is there is an outrageous pent-up demand for outdoor activities in particular that bring community members together of common interests uh, to a public space. And uh, the attendance we're having at these events is uh, pretty unbelievable, uh, all the way up from the Germantown Glory Fireworks out at South Germantown Park that can attract more than 30,000 people, uh, down to our smaller events like Acoustics and Ales, where we simply bring out a band, 
local uh, craft beer vendor and some food trucks. And we may get uh, anywhere between 500 and 1,000 people showing up at a location for an event like that. So I don't want to be too dramatic about this program, but I think one of the roles of parks that is huge is bringing our community members together uh, to get to know each other and interact over common interests. And uh, it's something that you'll hear a lot about uh, going forward. Okay. okay, are you done with your report? No, I, I just a few more slides. Okay, uh, let's go ahead. Wait, oh, I see <laughs> that arrow won't work. I need to go here. There we go. So I'm not going to give right. a quiz afterwards, and I don't want you oh, to look at okay. this too hard, but uh, this is the organizational chart of the Parks Department. The only point I want to make about this is I have two deputies, um, uh, Amity Figueredo, who oversees uh, five uh, administrative uh, divisions, and then Gary Burnett, uh, the Deputy Director of Operations, who oversees five operational divisions. So anytime a planning board uh, uh, member has a question and interest, feel free to come to any one of the three of us. Of course, please always start with me, but if for any reason you don't get hold of me in a timely manner, uh, please feel Please go out to Mitty or Gary and we'll try to be as responsive as we can. And I hope to host uh, a parks tour uh, sometime uh, this summer where we actually get you to meet uh, all of our senior management team and give you a tour of some uh, parks of interest. Yeah, that'd be really good. Uh, we did, and I also want to let you know, if you don't have a copy, we need to get it in your hands. Uh, we did recently have the planning board approve our long-range plan for the parks called the Park Recreation and Open Space Plan. It has a lot of themes and goals, but you see those three bullets on the left are kind of at the highest level of what we're trying to achieve. And uh, we had extensive community outreach uh, in, uh, in the development of this plan, and I think it is an excellent roadmap for the uh, park system of the future. Uh, we have we publish and update a report for both internal and external consumption uh, every few months called the Green Tree Report. It simply is data on the uh, breadth of the park system. It, this is just some highlights of some of the numbers and the data that is in it. We always put it in our operating budget uh, request to you know emphasize that it is a pretty vast system. So it's something that if you ever uh, want uh, to talk to somebody about the system, it's a great one pager to have in your hands just to say, hey, if you want to know about the park system, here's the acreage, number of parks, types of facilities. Uh, and it's uh, it's a good, I, I reference it multiple times a year, particularly when I'm going out to community events to speak, I always have a copy in my hands. We've been very aggressive over the last several years in seeking. On there. I thought, oh, do you have a question? Also? Commissioner Bartley? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Don't you manage swimming pools also? Don't you uh, manage swimming pools also? I didn't see that on the slide. It is, the, in Montgomery County, we are a little bit unique in that the Recreation Department is a branch of the executive branch of county government. So the Recreation Department uh, under uh, County Executive Elrich manages aquatic centers and the larger community recreation centers in the county. Okay. 
Many, the, many though of those aquatic centers and community recreation centers are in our parks to make it a little bit more confusing. Yeah. Like the yeah. German so the, <laughs> so, so the 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 buildings and those themselves are run by the executive, but they're within a park system that's part of parks and planning. Is that exactly? Yeah. It's, a, okay. it's not. It's a the facilities. Of them. The facility. It's not all of them. Some of the the pools and rec centers are on county owned property, but a good mm -hmm. number of them, I think it's almost half, if not more, are on our parkland. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. So we've had great success over the last few years getting support from uh, the Maryland General Assembly and our uh, congressional representatives for state and federal grants. You can see just last year, this is fiscal year 22, we got $15 million for a wide variety of projects. And this is really important because the uh, Montgomery County's uh, uh, bonding for their general obligation bonds is a big number. It's about 360 million that they can dole around for schools or roads or libraries or parks, but we're just a competitor for that bucket and there's not enough to go around. So in order to support our park system, it's very important that we also pursue state and federal funding and we've had great success over the last few years. And we hope to have good for you, good news for you once the General Assembly concludes in April about additional funding this year. Uh, I talked to you on the first slide about our parks uh, programs. We call it park activation. These are just some graphics of the different types of events. You can see we have a small team of very creative people that is constantly trying to answer the question, what is of interest to people? Uh, these are just some of the examples. I'll just highlight a couple that I'm familiar with. We did a one-off uh, outdoor movie about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. We had over 500 people show up. And uh, we did something called the Ale Trail, which is a hike around uh, Lake Needwood with water views. And water views are pretty rare in Montgomery County. So uh, we just simply brought out a band, again, a band, food trucks, and beer, local craft beer vendors seemed to be the magic and we had 1500 people show up uh, for that walk. And I just have a few more slides. Uh, park refreshers is a term you'll hear from us. This is where we use our capital program to go into our older community parks and work with the community to talk about what is in need of refurbishment and what type of new amenities would you like to see in your parks. Uh, these are two photos of one that, that we completed. Uh, the, the photo on the left is a tiny little park in Kengar uh, near Kensington called uh, uh, Kengar Local, uh, I'm sorry, Edith Throckmorton Local Park that we went in uh, and redeveloped. And then the picture uh, to the top right is something that's in design at a park in the Wheaton area called Carol Knowles where the community has embraced the primary feature in that park being a uh, bike skills track and pump track, which is a, a kind of a trending amenity that we, we really haven't had in our parks. A uh, big focus for more than 20 years on improving the athletic field, the quality and quantity of athletic fields in the parks and at the schools. Uh, we manage uh, the uh, athletic fields, not only in our park system, almost 300 of them, but over 200 more at uh, MCPS elementary and middle schools. We've had a program where we go in and refurbish them through the capital program, and then we take them into our 
uh, maintenance program through the operating budget. And as you can see from these before and after pictures, we really do uh, make quite a difference. We just had a sustainability uh, uh, plan approved by the uh, commission. It was a bi-county effort with our partners in Prince George's department uh, and uh, Montgomery departments. Uh, we have a lot of uh, very uh, uh, successful initiatives in the area of uh, sustainability. One I'm very excited about is that we're going to be adding a lot of solar generation, primarily rooftop solar on some of our larger maintenance depots this year. And we are well on our way of transitioning our gas powered uh, lawn maintenance equipment to electric equipment. And there's a lot of discussion on that, both at the uh, local and state level on uh, various legislation. And we think we're, we're leading the way there and can be very helpful in how that's done. And lastly, I'm just concluding with something that happened last night. Um, there is a very exciting project we're involved with in downtown Bethesda called Bethesda Market. Uh, with um, It is, if you're familiar with where Elm Street Park is or where the Farm Women's Market is, it is that location. It's a, a project in a partnership, and that's a lowercase p partnership with a uh, private developers advancing a mixed-use development with over 400 residential units. And as part of that project, they will turn two surface parking lots owned by the county into more than three acres of parkland that we will own and manage. They're also going to uh, refurbish the historic Farm Women's Market, which is of great interest to a lot of people and then also build, uh, replace those parking spaces that are lost with a public underground uh, parking garage. We had a community meeting last night at the Lawton Center in Chevy Chase. We're having another one tonight at Bethesda Elementary School. And uh, we had 115 people show up last night, uh, very robust engagement. And it was uh, really the kind of community meeting we want where we shared some ideas about what these parks could be. And then community members got to tell us what they think, uh, both verbally and through uh, uh, post-it notes. There'll be an online survey, and it was just a lot of uh, very good input with people telling us what they would like to see in the park and their uh, community. And with that, I am done with my presentation, and I'd be happy to answer any questions. Okay, Commissioner Bartley, I think uh, the commissioners have some questions. I hear them raising their hands, so go ahead. Thanks for your presentation, Mike Riley. I look forward to getting to know you more personally. Uh, I'm an avid outdoorsman, and so are my children. And the parks have been essential to my, my children's social emotional health. And I know it's essential to other families' social and emotional health. And I really appreciate your efforts in maintaining the park. It's super exciting to hear that you um, refurbished maintain parks so that they're usable so that we can get out and play especially our children and it's super exciting to hear that the bethesda's women farm market community meeting resulted in parking lots being utilized for parks i'm also a big um, archery guy so i know i met with you uh briefly and i said more archery right now montgomery county has two places to shoot archery and i think that the archery uh, facility should be expanded for that opportunity opportunity and also I'm super excited to learn more about your whitetail management program. But thanks for sharing this presentation. You know during my um, introduction um, 
last week, one of the things I pointed out is the beauty of our parks here in Montgomery County. Had being a Southern California kid growing up on the military base, we didn't have the availability of parks like we do here in Montgomery County, and it's a tremendous asset. And as the population in the county increases and becomes more dense, more dense, um, it's going to be important to maintain our parks so that um, our families and children can be connected more to the world through our green spaces. So thanks so much for the presentation. I look forward to being a supporter. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Bradley. Yeah. Commissioner Hendrick, do you want to say something? Yeah, uh, yes, I do. Just a, a couple of quick questions. Uh, one, can, uh, can we get a copy of those slides? I didn't see it in the packets or anything, in the, the links or anything. Was it, if it wasn't in, if, if I missed it, I'm sorry, but I wanted to get a, a copy if I yes. could. Um, that'd be that'd be fantastic, thank you. I'd also, I, I read part of the uh, the PROS uh, on the, the flight yesterday, actually. So it was, uh, it was very good. I was interested, uh, particularly in the social engagement piece. And I know that, um, I'm really interested in the programming and expanding that and 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 helping with with sort of the activation of the parks. I've 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 seen some of the pent up demand and um, I I think you know Sean's mentioned his his kids like to go outdoors. I I've I've seen it in my own kids going outside. I like to run them around on the weekends and hopefully they 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 collapse at the end of the day. So do I, but but it's it's sort of mutually assured destruction. Um on the couple of things, I wanted to talk, uh, just ask a little bit. Uh, on the second slide, you had the foundation off to the side and has its own executive director and the organizational uh, chart. Could you give a little bit, um, give me a little bit of more information on how the sort of the, the Parks Foundation works with uh, the Parks Department? Um, I'm curious Ab sort of how that arrangement works. Absolutely. Uh, the Parks Foundation is a wonderful supporter. Uh, their executive director, Katie Richter's uh, office actually is right outside mine in the Wheaton headquarters building. Okay. So uh, anytime on a Thursday where we can find a moment, I'd love to introduce the uh, I'll, what I'll do is I'll bring Katie down in my next park director's support and introduce her to the board and to that yeah, that'd be and, fantastic. Uh, but but should the short story, and of course they have their own board. They have a great board of uh, volunteer uh, board who oversees the Parks Foundation. But they're a fundraising arm. They um, yeah. uh, they they raise money to support the parks through a variety of mechanisms. And uh, you know we've had donations uh, uh, come in uh, at Brookside Gardens, for example, in excess of mm -hmm. a million dollars. Uh, from right. from donors uh, all the way down to uh, the bike. Uh, one of the programs I would have loved to have highlighted this morning is last summer we did uh, what we called a trail ambassador program. We recruited uh, a bunch of uh, uh, high school kids uh, for two weeks to come out and, and do trail maintenance. And we also That's taught them right. how to ride, ride a mountain bike. And at the end of the program at graduation, they each got the mountain bike, and that was made possible through $10,000 from the foundation to buy those bikes. That's so the, that, that's the short story, is they raise yeah. money to support the parks. Mostly as a fundraising organization. Yes. So I, I I was wondering how similar it was to, to Rockville's, which I'm familiar with since where I live. Uh, but yeah, if we could... Yeah, maybe set up a meeting or, or have them come down next time, I would be interested in that and, and seeing how we can do that. Uh, <clears throat> I have a couple of other questions I don't want to get uh, too much into. I assume we'll get some sort of summary of the Bethesda uh, Women's Farmers Market, the meetings and everything at some point in the future. Yes, to that point, I, I figured once, I would come up. I want to. Yeah, I, I think the the step was once we uh, hear from the community and the, our consultants uh, come up with the next iteration of a concept, we'll show that to the board. 
All right, fantastic. Uh, and the I just I, the only I had one more question. In is uh, when you did the Rocky Horror Picture Show, did people yell at the screen and throw things? <laughs> I, I have to admit, I was not in attendance, but I am told the answer was yes. <laughs> I, I assume that if that if we have an activation of parks with the Rocky Horror Picture Show, there's no way to get around that. I guess I, probably I, I easier know, to clean up outside. I no. know when we marketed it, we advertised we would supply all the props upon entry. <laughs> All right. If we do that again, I'll have I'll have to come up next time. But thank you very much. I appreciate that. I, I really do. And uh, uh, thanks for the report. I appreciate it. Maybe we, uh, maybe we get together and meet up sometime. I'd like to to get to know a little bit more about the park system. I also uh, when uh, we can do that that tour of the parks, I really would like to do that because I'm familiar with some of the larger ones and the ones that I go to regularly. But I know that they're you know thirty seven thousand. Yeah, you know, there's I'm, I'm sure there's ones I haven't gotten to yet. So I really would like to see. Them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Bartley. Go ahead. Uh, I have a follow-up question. Uh, Mr. Riley, do you all participate in the hometown heritage days? There's something where there's these um, historical sites within the county, and I think there's like an old schoolhouse out in the Poolsville area. Is that within the park system, or is, are those in a different part of the um, – there's a one-room schoolhouse in Poolsville, and I didn't know if that was part of the... the, the I, I, I think you're talking about Kingsley Schoolhouse. That is ours. We we do manage 114 historic sites in the park system. I think you should add that to your presentation because it was really um, beneficial for our family. We visited the one-room schoolhouse in Poolsville, and a gentleman by the name of Mr. Kiplinger gave an outstanding presentation with regards to that one-room schoolhouse mm -hmm. and the connection it had to the communities. And he also referenced the Quakers' roles and the African-Americans' roles with regards mm -hmm. to Montgomery County and whatnot. And so I think uh -huh. the historical perspective and the preservation that the parks do is really important to the history and uh, importance of Montgomery County. Well, I will. You've given me at least two themes for future park directors report, the Park <laughs> Foundation and historic and cultural resources. So my, I mean, my staff loves being invited to come talk about their area of specialty. So we'll do that at a future park directors report. Yeah, I'll second, I'll second Sean on that. I, I, uh, I knew there was a few. I didn't realize there's 114 historic space. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, thank you, Mike. You, you always do a great job, you and your staff. Um, I've always been very impressed by the amount of uh, not only the, the what the staff does, but also the volunteers and the foundation and just there's so much interest in the parks um, after, I mean, so much pent up demand, after, especially after the pandemic uh, that uh, there's so much to do, and I'm glad that we're doing that Bethesda Women's Farm Market um, community, and I'm sure we're going to hear more about that uh, in the future. Usually, this is just the beginning of the process, you know, getting together with the community, finding out what they want, and uh, but it sounds really exciting. So anyway, uh, it's, it's a huge program, uh, and um, we, um, we look forward for a tour. Uh, if you can take us around. I mean, I use Brookside Gardens all the time. I use some of the trails like the Matthew Henson, go there. I walk every morning with my dog on that uh, trail. And it, it's just wonderful to be able to 
be outside and like uh, Commissioner Hedrick said, to get your kids tired so that can <laughs> they can. <laughs> yes, and we tired too. So anyway, thank you very much, Mike. We appreciate yeah. your report. And excited about being tired. The key is being happy about being tired. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. All right. We don't have to uh, take a vote or anything. We, this is just uh, an item for a discussion. Now, do we take a recess now to go into item five or do we continue? Yes. We need to, yes, take a recess. We take a recess. Okay. Well, not so recess we'll a... officially, just wait till the next team's call. Okay. Go to the next team's call. We're going to okay. go to the next team's meeting and we'll continue with our meeting. Thank you very much.
Okay, good morning. Uh, this is the uh, March uh, 16th uh, planning board meeting. We're continuing our meeting and it's uh, about quarter 10 now. Uh, we have one item that uh, item number five that we're going to be discussing. Uh, it's a public hearing. It's called the Larson Property Administrative Subdivision Plan number 620230. 030 and it's a, um, a request to convert a parcel into three lots for three single family detached dwelling units located at 10420 Oakland Drive in Potomac. Uh, it's a 7.18 acres. Uh, it's on uh, RE2 and uh, it's part of the 2002 Potomac sub-region master plan. Um, and uh, there it's two flag lots and one without frontage. It's actually behind, um, behind it's, it doesn't face directly on Oakland Drive. And uh, there was a need by the staff to uh, look at adequate separation, 80 foot minimum separation between the houses. And uh, there's, there's, it's recommended by Montgomery County Department of Transportation and uh, uh, the Department of Permitting Services and the Fire Department looked at it too. And there's a need for a final record record plat that needs to be submitted. Um, at this point in time, I'm going to ask whether there's anybody uh, that would like to address. Is there anybody testifying for this particular application? There are no speakers. There are no speakers. Okay. All right. So I'm just going to open it up. Um, uh, I think, you know, the if 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 I could have some of the staff uh, uh, basically answer some of the questions that the commissioners may have. I'll start by saying. Uh, one of the concerns was whether emergency vehicles could could make it all the way back to where those there's one existing house, but there's two houses that are going to be built. Um, so is there enough access for the emergency vehicles to go through? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Commissioner Pinheiro, uh, staff did have a presentation prepared. I'm just want to oh, make okay, sure. Go did, ahead, did you please. intend to just? jump right no, in or did you want us no. to give a presentation Why don't first? You, uh, go ahead but just take into consideration my question that's it go okay. ahead sure presentation. we'll do just muted myself i'm going to turn it over to our uh, lead staff person on this case alexandra Tupre. okay hi everyone i'm alexandra Dupre. i'm a regulatory planner with the up county division um, and I'm going to talk through the Larson property application with you all. It's an administrative subdivision plan, uh, number 620-230030. So a little overview. It's an administrative subdivision plan uh, to convert a 7.18 acre parcel into three lots for three single family detached dwelling units. The applicant is proposing two flag lots and one lot without frontage for a total of three lots. Staff recommends approval of this administrative subdivision plan with conditions. 
So we wanted to outline a bit uh, for the new board members what an administrative subdivision plan is. Uh, I don't believe that you've encountered one yet since beginning. Uh, so an administrative subdivision plan is a preliminary plan submitted usually for director's approval uh, before the preparation of a plot. It may only be used to create lots. And this application specifically requires uh, approval from you all, the planning board, because it is proposing flag lots and a lot without frontage. So as mentioned before, it's located in Potomac. It is 7.18 acres. It is in the residential state zone, RE2. It falls under the 2002 Potomac subregion master plan. It has a Montessori school to the north abutting the property in a religious temple to the south. It is 0.5 miles south of Falls Road. So it is an existing flag lot with an atypical existing access easement where you can see the dashed line on the image. It's currently improved with a single family home, a gravel drive, a basketball court and a barn. It has a stream and associated wetlands, a 100-year floodplain, and a stream buffer, which are all located on the southern portion of the property. So the proposal for this plan are three buildable lots intended for the use of three single-family detached dwelling units. They're intending to remove the basketball court, <coughs> to remove the basketball court in the barn, and they plan on keeping the existing home, which would be located on lot three. They're proposing forest plantings in a category one easement in the southern portion of the property, and they will be on public water and sewer. So lots one and two, where you can see the highlighting around the image, uh, those are the proposed flag lots. They're intended for two single family homes, one on each lot, uh, and they will share a driveway, which you can see leading to Oakland Drive. Lot three, which is highlighted here, is the lot that does not abut a road. It's a lot without frontage, um, and it will maintain the existing single family home that's located on the lot, uh, and it will continue to use this existing access easement to reach Oakland Drive. So we have received some community correspondence on this application. We received one letter and an email from the community. The letter was from the owner of the Montessori school to the north, and they were concerned with um, buffering the shared driveway of their proposed lots from their property with a board on board fence. Uh, there's actually an existing split rail fence at this location, which I will show you here. So you can see to the left, this is where the proposed driveway would be for lots one and two, the flag lots. And on the right here is the Montessori school. So they currently have this fence uh, in between the lots, uh, but the Montessori school owner wanted to see a board on board fence. So a fence is outside of this review. Uh, fence requirements are not part of the subdivision regulations. And so staff has raised this issue to the applicant to find an acceptable solution for both parties, uh, but it is outside of this review. And so in addition to that letter, we received an email from the community with questions regarding zoning uh, and also asking if there would be a roadway built. So we responded that there is no zoning change proposed and that there are no proposed roadways. 
For our analysis and findings, uh, per the subdivision ordinance, the planning board must review flag lots and lots without frontage to ensure adequate separation between the building envelopes of the proposed lots and the adjacent lots. This plan meets all applicable sections of the subdivision regulations, including requirements for flag lots and lots that do not abut a road. So first, the findings for lots one and two, the flag lots. The subject property is an existing flag lot, uh, and so the position and shape of the track does not really allow for other ways to subdivide this without creating flag lots. So the two flag lots that are proposed would use a shared driveway as mentioned, um, and the proposed building restriction lines would maintain building envelopes at least 80 feet from the building envelopes of adjacent lots. Now for the findings for lot three, this is the only lot that is proposed without frontage. Uh, lot three will be served by the existing access easement. And so as required, the proposed building restriction lines would maintain building envelopes of at least 80 feet from the building envelopes of adjacent lots, as well as the lots between the existing house and Oakland Drive. The administrative subdivision plan that's proposed would conform to the 2002 Potomac subregion master plan. The Potomac planning area south of the village of Potomac is recommended for low density residential development like this that conforms to the RE2 zone. This proposed subdivision is consistent with the general master plan recommendations. So for frontage improvements, Oakland Drive is designated as a neighborhood could in <clears throat> neighborhood connector under the 2021 Complete Streets Design Guide roadway classifications with approximately 80 feet of right-of-way. This applicant is providing a six-foot sidewalk along the property's frontage, which is consistent with the Complete Streets Design Guide. There are no additional frontage improvements required. A bit about the forest conservation plan. There's no existing forest on the property. Uh, however, they are proposing 1.65 acres of forest plantings within the stream buffer and, the, um, and adjacent to the buffer, which you can see in the southern portion of this property. And so the green indicates the forest plantings in the category one conservation easements, and then the yellow stripes are the wetland areas. This Proposed Category 1 conservation easement would protect the stream, wetlands, floodplain, stream buffer, and the proposed planted forest. Uh, so two trees are proposed for removal, uh, and then six will be impacted by this development. And so to mitigate for this loss, the applicant will plant six new trees on the site, and staff supports this proposed tree variance. The applicant or the application generates fewer than 50 new person trips in the morning and evening peak hours. Therefore, roads and transportation facilities are adequate to support this application. Public school facilities will be adequate to support and service the application. Uh, they will be served by public water and sewer and stormwater management require, requirements will be met and approved prior to record plot. So in summary, this application complies with all the provisions of the subdivision regulations. They meet the requirements of the RE2 zone. 
and staff supports exemption from the RE2 frontage requirements for lot three, the lot without frontage. They conform to the 2002 Potomac subregion master plan. Public facilities are adequate. The law is appropriate with respect to size, shape, width, and orientation for the proposed use. They comply with the Chapter 22A forest conservation, and they meet all findings and requirements for an administrative subdivision plan. So in summary, we recommend approval of this administrative subdivision plan number 62023-0030 with conditions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your presentation. Um, so the, I, I, I find this is not so uncommon. No, in Potomac, I have seen some houses like flat lots, flag lots that are built behind other houses. Um, so in, in your opinion, this is not that uncommon, no, in, in, in Potomac where you have, what is it, two acre lots? Um, I, no, I, I don't believe that this is that uncommon. Um, yeah. As a department, we don't love seeing flag lots, but since this is already an existing flag lot, we believe that the applicants doing what they can with the existing conditions of the property. Yeah, okay. And a question about the, um, the Montessori school issue about the, uh, the fence. So we cannot require that from the applicant to, or at least to have a conversation with the school because the school is concerned about the uh, uh, protecting, um, you know, the children from any kind of construction or for the road. Uh, so we don't, you're saying that we don't get involved in that, or is that something that DPS could get involved, require that there'll be some kind of a fence, improvement to the fence, because that fence doesn't seem to, to do it. Yeah, that's a good question. My understanding is that within the scope of this application, we're not able to look at something as detailed as a fence. Uh, we did bring it up to the applicant, uh, but we don't necessarily have the backing to ask for that. Uh, but I am curious also about the rest of your question regarding later, later in the line. Um, and so I would defer to my supervisors, Patrick or Sandra, who are online. Hi, good morning, Sandra Pereira, regulatory supervisor. Um, the, so this, this issue has been brought up to the applicant and we shared the letter that we received from the neighbor. Um, mm -hmm. I see Michael Norton here from the applicant's team um, and he has raised his hand to speak on this uh, question. So they might have additional details that they wanna share with us. But uh, from our perspective, we have encouraged um, the applicant to work with their neighbor um, as as good neighbors they they um, they should be able to work this out and um, I don't know if you want to to have the applicant speak now or maybe later um, on yeah this. I, I I would be uh, yeah I would be glad if the applicant can address this question mm -hmm. I have a concern about the fence also and the Montessori school. Um, you may have received a letter from the person who is responsible for the management and control of the Montessori school, um, but I'm, I would be um, curious as to whether or not the children's parents 
responsible for their children's safety, health, um, are aware of this um, impending project and whether or not the parents of those children would be concerned with uh, the fact that a fence is not required, but there's going to be ongoing construction. In addition to the construction, it looks like there's going to the proposed driveway for lots one and two is going to be installed there. And I think the slide said 50 new person trips um, per week are, are, are going, I mean, per day, excuse me, are going to go through there. So, um, you know, the characteristics of the adjacent school are going to be affected by the installation of this driveway and proposed two, not, two, two lots. Um, the question I have is with the, the homes that are going there, are they going to be single family homes or are they going to be high density um, structures, condos, townhomes, or are they going to be individual single family homes? Sure, thank you for that question. Before Mr. Norton answers, I want to address a couple of them. Um, so there's two uh, single family homes that are proposed and so as part of our findings, we have to look at different development applications and understand how many uh, vehicular trips they will produce. And so there's a cap at 50 trips before we have to go into further review. And so this application is proposing far less than 50 trips. And so what we're saying is that um, they won't require further review because they haven't uh, reach that cap. Since this is just two single family homes, the number of cars moving out of this is going to be very minor. Um, and I also believe that, and please someone correct me if I'm wrong, but during that actual construction process, I understand there will be screening um, that would, I hope, like help with some of that safety concern. Um, but please, uh, Mr. Norton, if you want to take it. Well, before uh, before he takes it, let me because Commissioner uh, Hart, um, Commissioner Hedrick has uh, has raised his hand. I don't know whether it's a similar issue or he has a different issue. Go ahead, Commissioner Hedrick. Yeah, I just wanted to be. Um... So I'm, I'm, I was rereading. I was rereading through the the staff report. The conditions and and listening to the the presentation. The conditions. So it's approval with conditions. The conditions are the sidewalk and um, and the forest planting. I assume. Is there other conditions uh, that I was missing, or is those the those the primary conditions for approval? Recommended conditions for approval. Sure. Thanks for your question. Uh, we have a list of. Um, essentially kind of go-to conditions for different applications. Um, and mm -hmm. so we have conditions that extend beyond just transportation and plantings um, that are that are pretty normal and applicable to a development application like this. Okay. And so you'll see in the report, the first major section of the report is all conditions. So those one through 25 right there, those are the individual conditions, but nothing... Uh, not right. non boilerplate, play, but the, those those are the conditions we're putting in and accepting. I'm just making sure that I got that that all right. Right. Yeah, okay. that's exactly. And most right. of those are okay. Most of those are normally required to what the the subdivision plan something. That that's all. Uh, that's all I really um, had. I uh, I assume the dr the driveway. I think you said is going to be gravel through there. So no, there's not going to be massive paving or or you know anything like that. 
Somebody yeah, so else has raised their hand, and I'm not this, really sure who that is, but I know that Commissioner Bartley also is asking to, uh, yeah. uh, to speak. Go ahead, go, yeah, go ahead, Sean. I'm, uh, one of the things I'm impressed with is that there's going to be um, installed new floors and the buffer between the. But I'd like to get back to the Montessori school. Have the parents of Montessori school been engaged? Um, are they aware of this? And um, have they signed off on it? And so usually what they do is they go to their administrator and then the administrator pipes in for them. Um, and has there been meetings with the Montessori school and the, and the and concerned parents? And the second, the proposed driveway, I think it's, I think there's a, a, there's an existing easement that's gravel, correct? And then this proposed driveway will be a asphalt or concrete. It's not gonna be, um, it's not gonna be gravel. Correct. Yes, that's correct. And you're okay, so I think there was a misunderstanding where the gravel was. I think the gravel is an existing easement between some houses now. That's the one to lot three, I assume. It's lot the, three, the, yes. That's the lot three gravel, and then and the new yeah. one will be an asphalt pavement. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, can we have uh, the staff address this issue about the fence, and then uh, if the applicant also wants to address that. Um, I just wanted to add something real quick about the fence, um, if I may. Um, so just like Alex, Alexandra said, um, as staff under the sub, uh, subdivision regulations, it's not under our purview to review fences. However, the planning board has the authority to require fences and or screening as part of their um, approval. So let feel free to keep that in the back of your mind as you hear the applicant and as you hear more about this this topic. Okay, thank you. Okay. Can we hear yeah. the, the applicant, what they're intending to do in terms of the fence? Sure. Uh, good morning, everyone. This is Michael Norton, Norton Land Design. Uh, represent the applicant, Mr. Kim Larson, who is also on the call. Uh, I, I think if I'm, uh, welcome new board, by the way. Uh, I think typically after the uh, staff does a presentation, we typically, step in as well prior to questions so that we can kind of clear some things up ahead of time um we we looked at this fence and i i have a, a couple of of concerns about this one is that we are proposing a three lot subdivision in a, a in an re2 zone a residential setting in a residential zone the neighbor that's requesting the information is actually a private school in a residential setting under a conditional use in we we do conditional uses as well typically i would think that the uh that the school would install a privacy fence that the school would actually have the correct screening along their property as required by a conditional use so that's that's kind of where where we've been thinking on this. If the if the fence is a concern for the school, it should actually be installed now by the school. I don't think that this should be a, a requirement of a of a residential homeowner to install a fence to protect a conditional use property. That that's kind of my position on this, and where I've been thinking on it. If if the uh, 
if the planning board disagrees with that, then we can certainly talk about, you know, doing a fence. That, that's not a problem, but I just think that this is a little overreaching for a three lot subdivision from a neighbor is, is where I'm coming from on this. Um, as far as the driveway, actually, it's, it's two lots that are uh, headed to the back. It's not any different than actually what's across the street and what's down the street. There's several flag lots. Uh, I was looking when when everyone was asking the questions on this. The driveway will be 12 feet wide, so it's very characteristic of a um, of a residential community. I, again, two lots going back. I, this is going to be minimal impact on the uh, surrounding community. Houses are set back. The this is actually two parcels uh, that we're looking at right now. The actual portion of the flag lot is a separate parcel from the rear overall property. That portion of flag lot was purchased in the 80s prior to this owner. So this this property has always been actually a um, a lot without frontage until that portion of property was purchased with the idea of doing a subdivision in the future as well. So I do want to kind of uh, clarify some of those things, but I'm happy to have the discussion uh, and, and answer any more questions on the fence. But um, that's where where I was thinking on this. I have a question. Do you have you um, so, have you had any conversations with the school about you know, I mean, I know how you feel and, yeah, and we, we're sure. not going to re I don't think we're, I mean, what I've heard is not uh, something that we can require, I think, of you. But, um, you know, have you entertained any discussion about, you know, what kind of fence yeah. and the cost of the fence and whether the school should do it, whether you should do it? Uh, because I, I also see that the uh, there's quite a bit of separation between the proposed driveway and the actual fence that the school has right now, which, you know, the white yeah. fence. So I don't know where that fence would go, but, um, yeah. you know, have you, have you thought about just having this discussion with the school I, and see if you can reach some kind of an agreement? Sure. I mean, I don't think the neighbors have any, uh, I don't think the owners have any problem with that. My guess is that anyone that would be moving in or purchasing the house would likely install this fence anyway, because again, this is a playground in the rear of the property. Uh, I, I, my assumption is that they are, that they're going to install that. Uh, the Montessori school has not reached out to us. Um, but we, uh, the owner actually just told me he's ha more than happy to talk with them about it. Yeah, can I suggest that we, um, uh, given the one, the applicant's going to have to follow any, you know, safety um, protocols from DPS during construction, before just yeah. construction, um, you know, for a, a perhaps a pre-con meeting, uh, we we indicate we can relay, uh, send an email contact DPS, um, relay the concerns from the planning board uh, based on the Montessori school and suggest that a pre-con uh, meeting uh, occur on site so that DPS, Montessori school, the applicant are all aware um, of what the concerns are and they can take appropriate measures to ensure safe construction and yeah. um, you know preventing any kids to entering the site uh, while construction may be occurring. Yeah, I um, I was actually going to uh, go on and I think Patrick was more detailed than I would have been with that, but I, the concern from the Montessori school seems to be during construction primarily and not as a long-term yeah. 
issue. And so I, when we get to that, when we get to that point, I think we can review the the safety measures uh, for the construction portion, which will be relatively short compared to the the length of time. But I I, I tend to agree with Patrick on that that we can get we're going to get a bite at that apple again later in the time. And if they're going to arrange a meeting prior to the construction portion of it, I think that should suffice. Um, Mr. Norton, thanks for um, being open for discussion and thanks for um, giving your viepoint with regards to the Montessori School. Um, you pointed out that the Montessori School is a conditional use and that's how they're operating under conditional use. Yes. And then you said it's their responsibility to build the fence. Um, are you suggesting that because you're taking an action, now the Montessori School has an additional responsibility because of the proactive um, development. I'm I'm saying that the Montessori School is under a conditional use, a special exception, and as part of that, there are requirements that they have to comply with from a conditional use, from a special exception. I just don't I don't think that the Montessori School should be able to say hey a two lot subdivision has to install a fence to protect them when is when i think it should be incumbent on the property owner of the montessori school again who's operating in a residential uh zone to uh, uh, have the safety of their students i don't so, understand so yeah. are you saying that so so i'm just i'm, I'm, I'm addressing your, your your standpoint you're saying that because you're building now and because they're concerned for the safety of their students, um, that they are now required to do something proactively because you're going to build, correct? That's your position. Now, no, we're not changing the use of this property. This is, it's a residential two lot, it's a residential uh, property. What I'm saying is that as part of a conditional use, you have specific requirements that you have to comply with. Uh, and I don't I did not review this, but in most cases it is uh, screening requirements and other things, whether that's a fence or what have you, that is required as part of a conditional use for approval to operate in zones. That is not required when you're doing a residential subdivision in a residential zone. So it, we're asking someone that has a, a special, a unique uh, special exception and they're asking that a property owner who can operate who can do a subdivision to do something above and beyond what would be required for a subdivision i just I, i'm struggling with that a little bit to be honest with you commissioner bartley may i jump in here real quick uh robert Cronenberg, deputy director um a couple things i wanted to just point out the the first one i think um patrick and alex and sandra talked about um the fence that would be during construction and i think that that's more of a safety issue that that can be addressed during a pre-construction meeting as patrick mentioned um the discussion about a fence and um you know with an application like this i, I just want to say the board has the authority to request and require a fence as part of this application if you'd like to um staff when they reviewed it based on a two lot really a, a new two lot subdivision you know, with the with the lots being fairly large at two acres, did not feel it was needed or required. Um, you know, with this application, um, but I, you know, to to staff's 
point as well. Um, this is a new application. They're a developer. So we look at it from an impact standpoint on adjacent properties. So if this board feels it's appropriate to put a fence in, um, you know, I'll have to I'll, I'll have to go against a little bit what uh, Mr. Norton said, because I, I do believe it's not the Montessori school requirement to put a fence up. Um, if they'd like to, they can, but they probably have to go back and get their special exception amended um, because that's usually part of the detail of that plan. An administrative subdivision is not as detailed as the site plans that we see, which is one of the reasons why I, I think a fence was not required as part of our conditions of approval. And there's an existing fence along the edge as well. Um, so, but I, I did want to just point out that this board has the authority to do that. Uh, from a screening standpoint, from a buffer standpoint, um, you do. Uh, so, uh, but we did not feel as staff that it was appropriate. But I, I think for future reference for subdivisions like this, um, it, it just pointing out something that, you know, we do evaluate as part of a review, but just not, didn't feel it was appropriate for this one. Yeah, and I, I would also say, uh, Patrick Butler, for the record, that um, again, we, we find that the residential units are going to be a compatible use with the adjoining Montessori school. Um, I think the the awkwardness and the ask is that we're asking the residential units to, to, to put up a fence for the use that's on the adjoining property, I think is a, a, another layer to the ask um, and why we didn't feel it was reasonable to ask this applicant to install the fence. However, if you disagree, like Robert and others have said, it's it's within your authority to require a fence or any screening that you feel is appropriate. I I particularly like um, what Patrick has recommended, having a pre-con meeting uh, with uh, DPS where they figure out, you know, safety uh, issues for the school and determine whether uh, a fence is is you know the way to go and how that uh, whether the the share of the uh, whether the cost of the fence could be shared by both parties. Um, I mean that's something that uh, you know I would hate to uh, to kind of. I mean I we know, I know we can require it, but I like to hear what other commissioners. Um, think whether we should require it or simply leave it at the uh, at you know Patrick's suggestion at the pre-con meeting. Yeah, sorry to interject. I want to clarify what, what I had said before. I, I was suggesting yeah. a pre-con meeting for the construction activities, perhaps a temporary for the fencing. construction. And yes. that if, yeah. if you all wanted to require a permanent fence. Uh, I, I would do that now, and we could incorporate that as part of the conditions of approval. But um, I, I was just to clarify, I was recommending not requiring a permanent fence, but perhaps having a pre-con meeting to to require a temporary uh, fencing or any or measures a temporary that would be fence. necessary. Yeah, like were requiring. Okay, I see. Yeah, I would I would go along with that. But you know, I'd like to hear what other commissioners uh, think about this. No, I, I I agree uh, with I think with Patrick's idea of, of the 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 primary issue with the fence and the safety is during the construction period it seems and yeah. not as a long term issue, in which case I think that it's perfectly reasonable to have the the uh, meeting for construction and determine what's necessary and then the long term the Montessori school can can uh, you know do what it do what it feels is necessary for um, for its own safety long term but it's just going to be residential use, so I think that that 
you know, a meeting on that and, and, you know, what temporary screening and safety measures are needed during construction is fine and acceptable. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, uh, do, does someone want to make a motion to that regard? It would be a condition on the approval of the Larson property, uh, administrative subdivision plan, and we can take a vote and see where we are. Um, John, did you have something else? Do you want to see? Do Do you want to have more discussion, Commissioner Bartley? I do want more discussion. Um, okay. I have an issue with regards to a potential burden that the Montessori school may have to endure um, because of the construction. And that this obligation and responsibility of the Montessori School is no fault of their own. And I find it striking that someone would characterize a non-conforming use to create an obligation as their proactive endeavors. And so, um, I don't know if I want to participate in the motion or not on this. I don't know if we can table this for a future date, um, but if that's a possibility, um, I'd like to table it. Thanks. I'd like to. Um, I, I mean, for the, for the for the plan right now, if that's the if that's the sticking point, I'd like to go. I, I think we should go ahead and move on it. And uh, if uh, if staff or. or uh, uh, the current chair can give me the do we need to make a motion to include a uh, pre-con meeting as a condition of approval an additional yeah, addition like, okay sure, go ahead yeah okay make a motion. so yeah so I'd like to go ahead and make a motion to approve um, sorry to approve the Larson pro uh, property administrative subdivision with the conditions currently included as well as a is an additional condition to schedule a pre-con uh, pre meeting to discuss uh, necessary safety measures, including screening and fencing. Okay. In the construction and, process. All right. I hear there's a, uh, there's a motion on the floor. I'd like to second it. So why don't we take a vote? Um, all those in favor say aye. Or raise uh, your I'm, hand. I'm sorry, Commissioner uh, Panero, Robert Cronenberg. Yeah. I need to just clarify. So a pre-construction meeting, also called pre-con, that's required for every development. Yeah. And so I think okay. in this case, what we would probably need to say is that during the pre-construction meeting, a discussion about uh, safety fencing needs to occur because that's yes. typically not something that's done. Uh, and I don't know, we can add that to a condition. Uh, but just I wanted to let this board know that every single application that yes. is going to be disturbing land in the county requires a pre-construction meeting. Yeah, I, that yeah, was I, think, I think the important thing is to raise the uh, to raise the issue of uh, the concern that the that the board has with yeah. regards to the protection of the children and a temporary fence. Yeah, that was kind of what I was asking is what was the what was yeah. the exact condition we're including, which is that 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 pre-construction meeting included discussion of safety of uh, yes. safety measures and fencing along the property edge. If we can put a, con a condition in like that. OK, so it, we're putting it, yes. a condition that there's a motion on the floor. I will second that motion. So why don't we take a vote? 
Uh, all those in favor say aye or raise your hand. Aye. Aye. Uh, Commissioner Bartley, are you abstaining or are you voting against it? I'm abstaining. Okay, so we have two in favor and one abstain. So the motion does uh, pass. Thank you very much.
Yes, good morning. Um, we're still in the morning of uh, March 16, 2023, and uh, this is the planning board meeting, and we're going to um, discuss uh, one issue, item number six, which is the state Safe Streets Act of 2023 briefing, and this is uh, with regards to Bill 1123 um, and uh, transmitting, uh, there's a staff recommendation and transmitting comments to the County Council. Um, and I'm gonna ask the staff to give us that briefing and what they're recommending. Great. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Vice Chair Pinheiro. Uh, my name, for the record, is Jason Sartori. I'm Chief of the Countywide Planning and Policy Division at the Planning Department. And I'm just going to give a real quick intro uh, for the benefit, especially of our, our two new uh, commissioners who are here. Um, on occasion, we'll bring uh, things to the board for the board's review and comments to pass along to the County Council. Uh, bills that are before the County Council that don't necessarily require our participation or our comments, uh, but if they're relevant to our work program and the things that we focus on in the planning department and that the planning board is concerned with, we'll bring them to you and brief you on them and uh, give you that opportunity to transmit comments. And the Council does take those into consideration. And so we are trying, in this case, uh, to bring uh, before you uh, comment, we would like to get comments to the County Council before they have a public hearing on Bill 1123 next Tuesday. And so uh, the other thing I want to highlight about this, when we uh, requested that the board uh, accept the working draft of the pedestrian master plan as the public hearing draft, and we have our public hearing scheduled for next Thursday evening. Uh, on the pedestrian master plan. One of the things I mentioned was that there were already aspects of our pedestrian master plan recommendations that council members were already pursuing uh, in, in terms of legislation. And that is what we have before you today. So uh, it's kind of fortuitous that we see uh, the work that uh, our Mr. Glazier and uh, the pedestrian master plan team have been doing for the past several years is starting to you know really gain traction and actually uh, with this bill that we have uh, before you today. So. Uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Glazier, and he'll run through the bill. Thank you, Mr. Sartori. Uh, for the record, uh, members of the planning board, my name is Eli Glazier, and I'm happy to speak with you today and meet you, some of you for the first time, um, as the project manager for the county's pedestrian master plan. I'm happy to brief you on Bill 11-23, which, as uh, Mr. Sartori said, will soon be in front of the county council. Um, so quick, this should be a fairly quick briefing. Uh, the agenda is just a description of the bill, um, staff's comments on opportunities to make this legislation even better, and then uh, a discussion among uh, board members uh, and ultimately um, the determination about whether or not we should be transmitting comments uh, to county council. So uh, basic information about the bill. This was introduced at the end of February by Council President Evan Glass with five co-sponsors. It amends section 31-9A of the county code and adds section 31-9C and 9D. Uh, the goal of this bill is to advance the county's vision zero goals by eliminating serious and fatal crashes, by prioritizing student safety in school zones, providing more access for pedestrians in a crosswalk, prohibiting right turn on red, and requiring a plan for increased automated traffic enforcement. Um, as Mr. Sartori said, the public hearing for this bill will be held on March 21st, this coming Tuesday, 
and a work session of the Transportation and Environment Committee is scheduled uh, to take up this legislation on March 30th of this year. Um, this bill would improve pedestrian safety uh, by doing four things. One, requiring an infrastructure review of pedestrian-related collisions in school zones, uh, prohibiting drivers of motor vehicles from making right turns on a red light in certain at certain intersections, requiring certain traffic control devices at crosswalks in the county's downtowns and town centers, and then lastly, requiring the county executive to produce an automated traffic enforcement plan. So I'm going to go through each of those briefly uh, and then dive into some of our comments. Um, the school zone traffic infrastructure review. Um, this part of the legislation says that the Montgomery County Department of Transportation must coordinate with Montgomery County Public Schools to review each traffic collision that is on a county road, involves a student, and occurs within a school zone or on school property during arrival and dismissal. Uh, the review, the goal of the review is really to identify engineering deficiencies or other challenges that led to the collision and identif the identification of appropriate mitigation and countermeasures to make sure that a similar uh, collision does not happen again in the future. Uh, the review, the legislation says the review must be completed within six months of any injury or fatality, and the review must be shared publicly. So that's the first part. Second part, um, the legislation says that the Department of Transportation must install signage indicating no turn on red at the intersection of every county road within our downtowns and town centers. Those specific downtowns and town centers are identified in attachment B in your packet, uh, the packet of maps, and that comes from the county code section 49-31. Um, the, the third piece of this is leading pedestrian intervals. And for those uh, who may not know, a leading pedestrian interval essentially is a time in the, the traffic signal phase where pedestrians have the walk sign and the red signal is still given for vehicles, as you can see in the photo here. Um, essentially, a leading pedestrian interval gives pedestrians a head start uh, of three to seven seconds before motor vehicles are given a green, which allows pedestrians to get into the crosswalk before turning vehicles can enter it, which uh, really improves yielding to uh, motor vehicle yielding to pedestrians and reduces conflicts. So this legislation uh, requires MCDOT to provide leading pedestrian intervals at every crosswalk along county roads within the downtowns and town centers, the same downtowns and town centers that um, are identified in section 49-31 and attachment B in your packet. And then the last piece of this is the automated enforcement action plan. Uh, this legislation would require the county executive to transmit a plan to county council to increase the number of automated enforcement cameras for traffic light enforcement, speeding, and stop sign compliance. Uh, the plan should identify the number and type of cameras how much funding would be required to uh, procure and maintain the cameras, and then the timeline for their deployment. Uh, the idea with this legislation is that once this is initially published, uh, I believe it's supposed to be initially published within 180 days of this uh, bill becoming law, uh, the plan would then be resubmitted annually as circumstances change and uh, automated enforcement cameras are installed. So at this point, that is... Those are the four different elements of the legislation. Um, I guess if there are any specific comments about the legislation itself, um, I could take those now. Uh, but if not, uh, we can definitely jump into some of the staff comments about opportunities to improve the legislation. 
Yeah. Um, go, Sean. Go ahead, Sean. Um, thanks for your presentation, and thanks for clarifying um, the law. It's a much-needed law. I, I, I've uh, worked and lived in downtown Silver Spring. Um, my office has been in downtown Silver Spring, and some of the improvements here are awesome. Um, especially the delay in traffic lights at the intersection of Cameron and Georgia Avenue and Spring and Georgia Avenue, allowing pedestrians to get into the crosswalk before the light change is awesome idea. Um, I have two concerns. One is, is there a, a component of this law that calls for public service announcement and or communications uh, with regards to pedestrians um, engaging in safe habits, and are those communications going to be in English and um, Spanish? Um, I think it's really important that we also, not only with driver behavior uh, compliance and modification, but we also need citizen pedestrian behavior communication modification to keep the pedestrians safe and that they understand the laws and when to walk and when not to walk. And there may need to be some public announcements with regards to, you know, the responsibility of pedestrian to use the crosswalk and the times to use the crosswalk. Also, yeah. uh, and, 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 but then another concern I have is the automated enforcement and installation of um, cameras. Um, I find this curious because if pedestrians break the law and enter and crosswalk, or intersection. I don't think there's going to be any automated enforcement with regards to the pedestrian um, entering a crosswalk illegally or crossing the street illegally that more often than not contributes to them being injured. And so I'm curious as to how automated enforcement is going to work with regards to pedestrians and modifying their behavior. We know how it works for people operating vehicles. Um, you take a picture of their license plate and then you send them a ticket. But sometimes there are exceptions. Uh, I'm concerned um, about installation of cameras and whether or not they would be used for more than um, enforcement of um, penalizing drivers and their bad behavior. Um, the specter of government is always a concern to me, and sometimes it's used for more than enforcement of traffic laws. Um, will it be used for revenue generation? Or will it be used to protect the um, pedestrians? Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Barley. We'll have, uh, well, if you can respond to his concern, either Mr. Glaser or Mr. Sartoris. Go sure. Ahead. Yeah, uh, this is Eli Glacier for the record. Um, the specific legislation does not have any um, elements or components that relate to um, pedestrian education, driver education, et cetera. Um, I think the the most relevant piece of the legislation to your concern is um, if the legislation were to be enacted, um, all of the locations that would have where no turn on red would be allowed, or sorry, you would not be able to make a right turn on red. Um, there would be signage added at all of those locations to announce that that would be the case. Uh, but that's, again, largely for the drive people driving motor vehicles, uh, not for pedestrians. So I think that's, um, I think there are other, I think the council in the past has used other strategies uh, to address the pedestrian safety education piece of this. And then um, 
in the next several weeks, uh, this board will have the opportunity to review um, in detail the pedestrian master plan that we've been working on, which has several key actions that relate to pedestrian safety and pedestrian education as well. Um, so um, I think uh, that's not something that's in this legislation, but there, I think there are opportunities to improve that for the county in sort of the months and years to come. So good question. Because I, 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 I um, travel like a couple of the main corridors where a lot of pedestrian fatalities and injuries have occurred. And there's been pedestrian fences put up to prevent pedestrians from crossing um, thoroughfares rather than using the crosswalk. I think there needs to be signs and there there has to in order for it to be uh, effective there has to be communication for pedestrians and the drivers because we're sharing this space and we both have a mutual responsibility and obligation for one another's safety um in law there's something called contributory negligence right if you're on a crosswalk when you're not supposed to be there and get hit by a vehicle, it's not the driver's fault, it's the pedestrian's fault, right? And so we need to be um, cognizant that we need good communications for people to understand. And one of the high um, incident areas are areas where they have a high transitory, um, maybe non-English speaking area. And I think sometimes there's a cultural difference and a misunderstanding on how, when you're supposed to cross the road. So we definitely need some communication piece with regards to educating, um, you know, pedestrians and keeping them safe. Just implementing things to, you know, prohibit drivers from hitting them. Okay, that's that's awesome, and, and I know it works. But we also have to make sure that we're educating our pedestrians to keep them safe. Well, if if I could recommend uh, with regard to this at at this point, um, I know that Mr. Glazier does have some recommended recommended uh, modifications to the what's in the bill. Um, we can talk a little bit more through this, but then I think maybe we can send a comment to the council that we encourage them to um, consider many of the other things that will be coming out of the pedestrian master plan because that is you know a pretty thorough and pretty extensive uh, effort that will tackle a lot of these other issues too and hopefully you know whereas uh, um, Council President Glass wanted to create a bill that uh, addressed these particular four four items uh, there's a lot of, there are a lot of other things in the the pedestrian master plan that can be implemented over the course of the next you know several decades so uh, yeah. hopefully sooner than that. Yeah, I'd like to I'd like yeah. to hear from the staff comments for the 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 improvement uh, of the bill as well. I my concern with with pedestrian uh, education is that the return on investment is fairly low compared to um, things that address the things that address cars, which are actually causing the deaths and injuries um, to the pedestrians, either in the crosswalks or not. Uh, so if we can go ahead and hear from the staff, and then maybe we can have a little more discussion. Yes, staff, go ahead with the yeah. uh, recommendations. I just before you you do that, I like to say that I you know I share the concerns that Commissioner Bartley has with regards to uh, you know both uh, it's a shared responsibility of the driver and the pedestrian, but that's not something treated in this bill. It, it is something of the uh, pedestrian master plan, and we'll have opportunity to address that issue later on. Thank you very much. Go ahead with the recommendations. Yes, uh, thank you. Um, so I think the first recommendation here is that um, essentially the legislation as written is very 
very prescriptive about what the Department of Transportation should do at all of these locations. Um, and I think, frankly, there are, there are situations that may occur where implementing no turn on red and leading pedestrian intervals may not be the best approach from a public safety perspective. Um, so uh, this the staff comment is that we should be providing MCDOT flexibility uh, to implement this. So MCDOT should have discretion to make other intersection changes that should improve traffic safety um, that may not be no turn on red and leading pedestrian intervals. Um, but at the same time, I think one element that this bill does really well is um, especially it's like pulling from the infrastructure review piece is that there should be like transparency about the process. So uh, the staff comment would be to provide DOT this flexibility, but then at the same time for locations where they find that no turn on red and leading pedestrian intervals are not appropriate, a rationale for why they're not appropriate should be publicly shared. Um, so that's the first comment. Okay. This, the second comment, um, I think it's important that we clarify that the no turn on red and leading pedestrian interval provisions of the legislation apply only to county controlled signalized intersections. So as written, the bill references uh, in two places, the intersection of a county road for the, the no turn on red piece, and then at every crosswalk of a county road for the, no the leading pedestrian interval piece. Um, however, no turn on red and leading pedestrian intervals are only applicable to signalized intersections. Like you can't have a no turn on red at a stop sign, for instance, because everyone's stopping. Um, and then at the same time, the county government does not control the intersections where county roads intersect state highways. Those are state controlled intersections. So this is more of a clarification that um, we should be more specific in the language. The council should be more specific about the scope of the legislation. Um, a quick desktop review in our office found that about 40% of the signalized intersections in downtowns and town centers are county controlled, and then the remainder are state controlled. Um, third comment, um, there that the legislation about the leading pedestrian intervals should actually be expanded beyond the downtowns and town centers to include uh, what we would call major pedestrian generators outside of those places. So areas uh, like the immediate vicinity around schools, parks, and community centers. Um, these locations were highlighted as leading pedestrian interval opportunities in the pedestrian master plan, specifically key action P-2C. And uh, the rationale here is that these areas um, are really, they're small nodes of pedestrian activity, even though they're outside of these more major pedestrian activity zones, downtowns and town centers. So um, there's uh, just, there's, I think this, there's more detail in the staff report specifically about what this could include. Uh, and at the end of this presentation, there's some proposed language for the, the text of the legislation that um, gets into this a little bit further. And then the last piece here, um, with about 60% of the intersection, the signalized intersections in the downtowns and town centers being state controlled um, tackling those intersections, which um, for commissioners familiar with Silver Spring or Wheaton um, are the main intersections in these areas. So Colesville at Georgia, uh, Spring at Georgia, uh, 
most of the major intersections in the Wheaton Triangle, convening a working group to advance implementation of similar approaches at the state controlled intersections is really important. Um, so um, this is just, I think, a comment worth communicating that the Department of Transportation, the and Montgomery County Department of Transportation should coordinate with the um, Maryland Department of Transportation State Highway Administration to explore opportunities to implement these treatments more broadly um, at the state controlled intersections. Um, and, and then, and yeah, go for well, it. I was just say on that, I just want to say when you when you look at the, the pedestrian master plan, you'll see that our recommendations related to no turn on red restrictions and leading pedestrian intervals. Uh, talk about the need to engage both MCDOT at the county level, but also the state highway administration. And so this is kind of, you know, bringing that to play here and going back to the second uh, recommend, uh, second comment that we showed here. You know, this is really not just about clarifying, but also setting expectations when, you know, people see that this bill, if this bill gets adopted, they may think that every single one of these intersections, not recognizing that 60 percent of the intersections in our downtowns and town centers are, are not county controlled. And so the county law can't, you know, determine that these uh, the, the ch these changes apply there. So I'll go back to you. Thanks. Uh, and then the last slide I have really. Um, is uh, we've taken the opportunity to rewrite uh, or to make changes to the legislation um, to basically implement the recommendations, the staff comments to provide that guidance for uh, council staff um, if they were interested in amending the legislation in this way. So um, the only other slide I have is that uh, the staff recommendation here would be to transmit our comments um, as amended by the planning board regarding this bill to county council um, in advance of the public hearing uh, on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So, okay. happy to. All right. Yeah. Anything you all want to discuss? Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, I, you know, I agree with your uh, four points. Uh, the first one has to do with flexibility. The second one is it's uh, common sense that. You know, maybe the county thinks they have jurisdiction over all roads, but not over uh, state uh, roads. And uh, the third one has to do with schools and other, uh, you know, uh, parks and uh, community centers. And the working group is it's a good idea too. So I, uh, mm -hmm. let me. Uh, I think Commissioner <laughs> Hedrick has a question or a point. Go ahead, Commissioner Hedrick. Uh, yeah, just a, a couple of, excuse me one second. Excuse Go me. ahead. Um, a yeah, a couple of things for clarification and then um, some uh, some questions and, and maybe some recommendations for transmitting the council. For the school zone, I think it was slide five is what I have in my notes. For the school zone, would a, would a, um, would a, a collision there require, that, that gets investigated, uh, reviewed, require all three of those things, a county road, a student, and in a school zone or property, or is it any of all three of those within the school zone? Um, is it an and or an or? Is yeah, I believe uh, the last bullet here is an or. Um, it's in a okay. school zone or on school property. property. Um, but yes, it would need to be on a county road and involving a student. So it's not, okay. it's, I think you could probably make the argument that if anyone was hit in a school zone, it mm -hmm. could have been a, like the, the circumstances that led to that crash 
could have affected a student or in the future could affect a student. So it may make sense to do it in that case, too. That's not what the legislation. That's says. not what the legislation says right now. Yeah, I, I wanted to clarify on that. I would recommend or I would like to propose that we in that we uh, request that just in a school zone or on a school zone or property, uh, quite honestly, like it, at least for an elementary schools, or at least in my experience, not students aren't the only ones walking over there. So are parents, so are teachers, so are staff, so is everybody like that. I think that it would be, you know, I don't know how much of it is out of our purview, but but I would I would I would say that occurs within a school zone or on school property is probably enough for that that piece and that we don't we it basically expand or broaden that. That's my um that's something I would that's something I would would like us to encourage them to do. Um, because it's quite possible that you've got many more than just students there at the time that could get involved in a collision. Right. I think this is a good a good comment to send along. I'm just curious, are you also recommending then to remove the, the county road requirement so that it's even if, if it's, it's on a... Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about that uh, too. I uh, My personal preference would be to remove the in a county road. I don't know if that's a legal issue or if that's something that, that I mean, I assume we can I assume they can they can encourage MCDOT to investigate no matter what. But I would I would also recommend recommend removing on a county road because there are state there are state roads that go by schools I know around me and uh, and I'm sure across the county. So that that would be my recommendation. But let you know tell me if tell me if the legal issues are there or not. I if I um, I this is. Uh, an inference, I guess, an assumption based on how the, I'm not going to, this, this is a little bit of speculation, but I think mm -hmm. the county road piece of this is written in such a way that um, MCDOT is involved, the public schools are involved, and I think mm -hmm. the ultimate outcome, the ultimate goal of this review process is to actually mitigate future crashes of this nature yeah. that happen at that location. And I think if the legislation is expanded to the state, high the state roads it's mm -hmm. going to make it more difficult to actually you might get the review but you may not get the, the follow-up to the review no. so um i think this is written in a pragmatic way um mm -hmm. to um sort of understand the scope of what's possible of what's possible and, yeah. and where, where yeah. the where the county has the most impact or, or exactly potential. yeah i if, if that's the case and 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 and, you know, you think that, that it, you know, there's more like my concern is not necessarily the review, but the follow up. That's my right. That's my yeah, issue. Yeah. And um, uh, if you think that that's the best way to go, I just the involves a student, not students, obviously, would be the largest portion of the people. But there's plenty there's plenty others. And I don't and I would I would recommend that we broaden that as much as possible or at least encourage the county to broaden that as much as possible and as practical. Um, if the county road issue is a, is a thing, um, you know, I'm fine with either, you know, recommending not not mentioning that part. Uh, but I, I think as expansive as possible in this regard uh, to allow for the county the ability to, you know, put in what what steps are necessary to improve safety around the schools, whether or not it involves a student or a parent or a teacher or staff or something like that. Uh, I had one or two other things. Do you mind if I, I go through them real quick? And, go ahead, and, and please. I, I don't yes. want to step on anybody else's toes. No, uh, if ahead. somebody else wants to jump in at the at the moment. Um, the, with the no right turn on red, can we go back to that? I think it was a recommendation in the um, 
was number two, I think. On uh, I sorry, which which slide? Yeah, here, helpful? yeah. Clarify okay. on county. Yeah. yeah. So this this is good. I think it may be in the next one. I just I I like no turn on red to be as expansive as possible. I completely understand the the issue of of uh, state state signaling and everything. Uh, but as as you mentioned with the the leading pedestrian intervals, um, there are plenty of pedestrian uh, like heavy places that are not inside what would be considered a downtown or a, or a town center area. Um, so I would like us to I would like us to sort of be as expansive on that as possible, recognizing that we don't you know they don't have uh, over everything with the um, with the flexibility to MCDOT. Um, my preference would be that not only does it have to be a public, but the, you know, some sort of, you know, if they're sort of, if they're not going to put something there, that there has to be someone else, there's some sort of oversight on that. If they're not going to put in a no right turn on red, um, I sort of, I, you know, from the staff's point of view, what, what sort of, what sort of situations would you put a no right turn on red that would indicate it was a safer situation? There it is. One, one, that was one. Yeah. But where, what situations where a no right turn on red would, would improve the safety for pedestrians within the area. Um, That's a good question. Um, I think mm -hmm. I think there are opportunities potentially. Um, like so, leading pedestrian intervals are one signalization tool to mm -hmm. better separate vehicles Cars and, and pedestrians. Uh, there's also other treatments. Um, there's mm -hmm. leading. There's what are called leading through intervals, where essentially the through vehicles and through pedestrians get the signal at the same time, but you can't turn right yeah. or left across it. Or there's lagging through la lagging pedestrian intervals, where pedestrians essentially can go longer. They can continue crossing after the light is red. So um, I think there is are that other. I'm sorry, not, I didn't mean to interrupt you, I'm sorry. So there, yeah, I just think there are other signalization options and potential treatments that could be considered. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I think what we articulated in the pedestrian plan recommendation mm -hmm. in regards to this is very similar to what uh, I think the staff comment is that we're trying to transmit, which is that no turn on red and leading pedestrian, no turn on red should be the default. Like when you're thinking about designing yeah. an intersection, like that should be your starting point. And then if there are circumstances or factors that make that a net negative from like a traffic safety perspective, from a vision zero perspective, mm -hmm. then you should document the reasons that, that you believe that to be the case and what other treatments you're pursuing. Um, but I think it's very important that um, as planners, uh, we... Yeah. We defer to the extent possible to the our counterparts in DOT while articulating like what the performance measure, what the standard should be. So yeah. the default is still making this sort of thing the standard that you can vary from with a rationale is a massive improvement from what exists today. From what is currently, which is um, default of yeah. Yeah. So I that's sort of where we were coming from in the plan and that's mm -hmm. the the 
as, as the essence essentially of the comment that we that staff is <clears throat> interested in communicating. Okay, no, and I okay, I just want to clarify that a bit because that that's kind of where I'm going with that. Is I would prefer the default, or we. I prefer that we transmit that we prefer the default be no right turn on red and other signaling options as necessary or something along, you know, you guys you know them better than I, but um, because I, I don't want the default to maintain, I would, I would prefer the default not maintain as no change or we, you know, I, I think that, I, I think that that's exactly, that's exactly sort of the thing I'm trying to get to is that the default be no right turn on red other signaling options are the next default if it's if it's a better for safety and pedestrian safety in particular and then that we're you know allowing a right turn on red at any any i i find i find it hard to think that there is a safety issue with allowing right turn on red in any any place that's a town center or or um you know downtown area uh but yeah I, whatever we can do to sort of strengthen the the my my preference would be that we strengthen the comment to definitely the default should be no right turn on red and leaning pedestrian intervals. Those should be the, the default other signaling options and then uh, maintenance of the status quo is the like buried in the floor kind of option. Um, having had several uh, issues uh, nearby where I where I live myself. Um, is that does that make sense? Is that am I am I not being totally confusing with what I'm saying? Um, I think staff understands what you're saying. Um, okay, thank you. Yeah. Well, that's, I, that's, that's I totally agree with uh, Commissioner Hedrick. Uh, the question is, does that require rewording some of your uh, recommendations, or is that something that you can address? I, I you, you, you said that at, at, uh, you're going to have a meeting on the pedestrian master plan next Thursday. Mm -hmm. Is that something that can be raised at that point, or you actually need to do a rewording of your comments no. or just so, express a concern. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, so what we have next Thursday is the public hearing before yeah. the planning board on the pedestrian master plan. And we won't be addressing anything there. That'll just be an opportunity for you to oh, hear okay. from the community. No. Um, but with regard to these comments, I think the the, the point that Commissioner Hedrick was making is is captured in the, the, the language that we have of, of okay. saying, we think that you know we we should post the no turn on red signage, uh, and in any situation where it's not appropriate, uh, MCDOT needs to provide the rationale for that. However, in our transmittal letter, we can kind of make that very clear and use the language that we have in the pedestrian master plan, where we say we believe that you know the planning board believes that no turn on red should be the default, the default at these intersections. Yes. Okay. I would, yeah, I we'll would like the strong link, like as strong yeah. a language as, strong. as we can yeah. there. That That's just, that's my preference because I, 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 flexibility is good, particularly with implementation administration, but I right. didn't, I want to make sure that, that, that we're, we're moving toward, you know, moving toward the pedestrian safety with no right turn on red and things like that, as opposed to sort of flexibility with the status quo and, and, and things like yeah. that. That's just my preference. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, Tanya, did you have something to say a minute ago? I'm sorry if I talked over there. Yes, um, <laughs> I just wanted to make an additional suggestion. Tanya Stern, Acting Planning Director. Um, with regards to this matter, um, I think, Eli, it will be helpful to include in the transmittal letter of the board's comments some additional explanation that you provided in terms of what those other options may be that may be appropriate um, for MCDOT to apply uh, just to provide some additional clarity when it gets to the council, um, because otherwise we just note that there may be instances where some other um, 
safety measures may be appropriate, but we don't explain what those are. And so I think that would just be helpful clarification for them. Yeah. Okay. I had just one other I, one other thing, and then I'll stop. Yeah, go ahead. Stop uh, uh, monologuing here. Uh, I really liked the I really liked number three on the um, expanding the pedestrian. Uh, I think it's number three on the. I yeah, down to think eleven. I, yeah, and like I think I mentioned earlier, there are pedestrian-heavy places that don't necessarily occupy downtowns and town centers. And I would really like us to to hit that that point. You know, be at schools, parks, community centers. I know the extent. Um, you know, there's there's major intersections where there are pedestrians that are outside of those. So I would like us to hit that um, mm -hmm. hard. And I don't know if we have a definition of that or uh, some sort of of um, you know, measurement status or something to determine high pedestrian activity outside of those areas. But I would like us to make sure that we encourage that and encourage the same sort of adoption of uh, no right on red, leading pedestrian intervals, et cetera, at those places where there's heavy pedestrian activity. Yeah, I guess two points on there just very quickly. Um, the first is that um, the downtowns and town centers identified in the maps and attachment B and the, are yeah. kind of just like what exists today. Um, okay. As part of the pedestrian master plan, uh, we are, uh, I guess, uh, Mr. Ansbacher, how would you define it? We are further defining additional downtowns and town centers um, that yeah. this legislation would ultimately apply to those areas as well if it were to pass. Yeah, so, that was that was sort of what I was asking is, do we have a definition of high pedestrian activity areas that are not downtowns and town centers that this would apply to? Or is this a suggestion that once those places are identified, we implement similar things? Does that make sense? Sorry. So so we have a current definition of downtowns and town centers, which are yes. the maps that you have. That's we, through this plan, are expanding the number of those places to places that have that pedestrian activity okay. and potential future pedestrian activity that you're talking about. And mm -hmm. then this legislation, this, the draft legislation, our comment to improve the legislation uh, mm -hmm. to these schools, parks, and community centers, we have some draft text that essentially would say, uh, we should consider this at intersections within one block of a school park or community center frontage. So we're sort of defining the okay. immediate boundary of those areas that it's not all of the intersections within a quarter mile of these areas, but yeah, it's course, yeah. the immediate vicinity. Um, and that's how, that's one way we could define it. I think okay. um, it could be obviously defined in many other ways yeah. as well. Sort of wrapping it into what we're currently defining as downtowns and town centers, not necessarily make, yeah. okay, I, I, yeah. I think I get it. Yeah. yeah, that's just, again, and my my preference would be that our communication on that be a strong strongly word that as strongly and expansively as possible because we've had plenty at least uh, i always use my neighborhood as, a, as an example of places where we're not you know in a in a downtown or town center but we've had someone we've had pedestrians and cyclists both uh killed at intersections there and i i want that definition to be as expansive as or encourage the council to make that definition as expansive as possible uh this is david onspacher um I think this is a great discussion. I I think it would be as helpful to the council as possible to to be specific in the changes that we want. Um, one change okay. that we could make here is to specify, you know, within one block of a school park, 
community center or perhaps um, uh, a transit station yeah as well to be a little bit more expansive I think that would be I think that would that would that would cover sort of what I was what I would what I would uh, prefer that we that we transmit it, it yeah my, my definition is not that we just say be expansive but I do want to be as as detailed with that as possible if we think the best way is to go you know uh you know radius around particular points like school like you said schools community centers transit if that's the best way to do it and the most specific that'll that'll you know sort of had the best chance of sneaking in the legislation i'd be very much in support of that so yeah that that's fine i just i didn't know if we had a defined definition of what is a high pedestrian area that's not a downtown or town center but like if that's the definite i'm i'm perfectly fine with that thanks and i'll like i said that's i think that's the last of mine i'll quit but monologuing at the moment okay thank you commissioner Hedrick. uh are you getting the gist of it the staff in terms of any Changes that need to be done, or maybe in the letter, make it more, you know, emphatic uh, about the um, the default and also the 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 issues that have to do with uh, with the third uh, with the third point there, uh, schools yeah. and community centers. Okay. Yeah, I think I mean if there um, if there are no other um, comments or suggestions from the planning board. Um, I think we're prepared to sort of assimilate everything that was shared today if the board is comfortable with it and building on the comments that were in the staff report um, to put together a transmittal letter. Uh, I see uh, Commissioner Barley has his hand. I think it's a great piece of legislation and as the population, uh, population density increases, they're being proactive to address it. Uh, and, and so uh, that needs to be said. That's good, good legislation. Great. Yeah, I think we definitely Thanks. want to convey that it's great. And these are the things that we think can make it even better. Um, so I think that will come through as well. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, I, I, my my intention was not to indicate that I think the legislation yeah, yeah. is not going to over But like, yeah, I, I uh, mostly pro expansive. But thanks a lot, y'all, for bringing this this up. This is really good and I appreciate it. Okay, do we need a motion for the comments to be sent to the county council or with yes. us agreeing on yeah. it, it's enough? We need a motion? I think if Preferably. you just, yeah, if you would yeah. just okay. uh, have a, the mo I think the, the motion is on some language to the effect of what's on the screen. Okay. Uh, yeah, would be all right. I Can will, I hear uh, a motion? Yeah, go sure. ahead. I'll Mr. make the, and, if it's right. Yeah, I'll make a motion to transmit uh, to transmit the staff comments as amended and reflecting our discussion here uh, regarding the pedestrian bill 11-23 to the county council. Okay, do I hear a second? Second. Okay, let's take a vote then. All those in favor say aye or raise your hand. Aye. aye. Okay, it's unanimous. So go ahead. Good luck. Thank you very um, much. Thank you Thanks very all. much. Thank you. And I think you. with that, um, we are we're going to adjourn then.